Welcome today to the Learning with Lowell podcast. Every Tuesday, we will have new episodes. Like clockwork, you can look forward to anything regarding science, startups, scientists, you name it. We're going to have it every Tuesday. Thursdays, we'll usually have a YouTube video because I record these both in audio and video formats now. And keep your eyes peeled for a live stream coming up next month in March. Just want to let you all know that we're trying new things. Remember to subscribe, let people know. And let's get into today's show and who's joined us today. Today we are joined with Sherry Brown, Managing Director at the Yield Lab and previously the Vice President of Science Strategy at Monsanto. She got her PhD from Indiana University in Bloomington, a PhD in Genetics and Molecular Cellular Biology. And in this episode, we get into a great sense of what her life is like now that she is more of a board member consultant helping drive innovation and building a platform such as helping out in the Yield Lab as a managing director. Without further ado, let's get into this. As someone who's had a lifetime involved in agriculture, what have you noticed that has changed since you were like a young sprout? Like how how have things changed? (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, young sprout. Well, I have to say before I even start that I did not grow up in agriculture. So a lot of the people that I have worked with over the years did. They started, they grew up on a farm and they they have a memory of, of being on a tractor with their grandfather or or what it was like when agriculture was very manual. And they can really compare um, old, old, old agriculture to new, new, new agriculture. I grew up in in a suburb of Detroit, and what I knew about was the car business, but what I really knew about was how innovation advances um, how we do things and can make that. And so that when I started learning about science and I thought about what career to take, I knew I wanted to do something applied. So I didn't give serious consideration to going to a university academic um, professor job because I wanted to go to a company that did great science that created innovation and to have that innovation um, make a difference um, directly through the products they produced and so that's how I got into agriculture um, but I can tell you from hearing a lot from my friends who grew up in agriculture I mean one of the the cool things that has happened is we've been able to produce the world's food through um, less laborious labor tasks because we've got um, machinery and you know, you, when it went from manual to machinery and then from machinery to more automation and that's sort of the next wave, um, we have less of an impact environmentally. You know, we were talking about the importance of topsoil. A lot of the modern tools of agriculture um, preserve topsoil and we, that's a very limited, finite resource. So the modern agriculture is preserving topsoil. It's preserving water compared to the old way we did agriculture. Um, so there's a lot of that innovation that helps us farm a better way. And if you think about the population of the planet growing as quickly as it is, it's a good thing it has because we produce the world's food in, this, in the U.S. with a small percentage of our population. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you go back to our grandfather's generation, a very high percentage of our human workers were doing agriculture. 
And that's it's kind of relevant as you think about Labor Day. And <laughs> we just went through Labor Day. Um, today, all those people who would be doing laborious manual agriculture are out doing other things. They're innovating and, and bringing us new, new things in our lives in electronics, or they're out um, making food uh, cheaper because we can do it with, with automation and, and machinery instead of having humans do it. Um, so, so to me, it's very cool, all this innovation that is, is bringing a more modern um, source of food. I think this was when I was in high school when I learned about this, but I think it's only like 5% of the population has anything related to agriculture. And, yeah. and yet, I think each one of them feeds all of America and 150 other people. If I remember the data right, it's been, you know, like 10 years. But, like, like we really do a lot of work with, like, a very handful of people. And then, right. yeah, I just, right. I marvel at that when I think right. about, like, all the stuff in front of me, 5%, you know, like, 5% or less are yes. working on this. And, yes, yet, and, and then, you know, no one ever, everyone's just like, oh, my, you know, my plate is full, you know. Like that's all I think about this. Like, but like, th there's just, like so much work that went into this, and yet, mm -hmm. oh, I love it. But <laughs> yeah, no, it is an amazing statistic, and and I actually think the number is is less than five percent. Um, I think it's closer to two percent, but I'm not not the most current expert on that. But it's a very small number. But every one of those farmers, this is another cool thing about farmers. Every one of those farmers, they're they're running an operation. Some of them, it's a smaller farm. Some of it's a bigger farm. But if you think about farmers they live in their workplace. You know, if you're a manager of a, a car factory, you don't live in your workplace. But if you produce corn or soybean or wheat as your, as your product, like farmers do, they live in their workplace. So when you think about environmental impact of farming, who is, a, who is more in tune with using... Um, agricultural processes that preserve the environment than a farmer. Mm -hmm. The farmer is making choices to preserve his topsoil. He's making choices to use um, as, as little water as she can to grow the yield of her crops. She's thinking about different uh, choices of herbicides or, or um, controlling insects, controlling fungal disease making choices that are as environmentally friendly as he or she can mm -hmm. because they live in their workplace. They think about making a, a yield. They think about making a um, income for their family, but they think about the next generation of their farm mm -hmm. and often their family will take that farm over. So I have the deepest respect for, for farmers because think about people who share values with the rest of us. Isn't it, I think I was reading recently or last several months that like 50% of farmers are retiring in the next like 10 years, like a huge number are retiring. And then like, there's like these interesting, like some millennials are like building like micro farms and stuff. So like they're, they're like kind of stepping in, but it's like, it's really interesting to like such a, a, an important and critical part of the fabric of our society is like over the next 10 years, like 50%. I'll have to look up this, this uh, article and put it in the, in the show notes in case I'm off. But I think it's like a huge number as a retiring. Yeah, I've, I've seen one generation turnover in my career in agriculture. So remember, I've been on the research side, um, but I've been interacting with farmers because um, they were our direct customers. And I've seen um, 
when I first started, seemed like every farmer was old. <laughs> no, I was younger, so everybody seemed old to me. But, um, yeah, but I have now seen the their their sons and daughters um, start picking up the role on the farm and making decisions. And as the the tools for modern agriculture have advanced, and as that um, new generation takes on, they're eager to adopt the best tools to do agriculture the best ways. You know, um, today there's a lot of, we talked about artificial intelligence, there's a lot of digital things that are coming in to help a farmer make better choices on his or her farm. And this generation that's, that's doing that, as, as all farmers have, is wants to make great decisions for everything they, they do because it's their livelihood, because it's their, their future. Um, but they're adopting technology um, to make agriculture better in the same way we adopt, you know, new technology to, to make communication better. I mean, who of us isn't excited with having that smartphone in our pocket? And so um, it's really interesting to see as, as folks, the new generations come in, they're adopting this, this technology. And that's true around the world. I, I had the good fortune to go out and spend, um, have a job where I would go out and visit farmers all around the world. And you know, I, I, there was a young couple of young brothers who um, took over a farm in Brazil from their, their dad. And these were the most aggressive technology adopters I'd seen. You know, they were young, they were in their early 20s. But boy, they were looking for the best of digital agriculture, the best of inputs, the best way to use fertilizer, the best way to, to um, analyze yield on different parts of their farm, and could we use, use automation better? I mean, it was incredible, and I think that's only going to continue. Hmm. I, I, lo I love that. Uh, is there, I'm like, I'm stuck between asking some more like interesting factoids about farmers uh, and then wanting to ask about how the soil of innovation is uh, like uh, has changed over the year, like kind of like going into the, like, this innovation topic, but um, we'll go down innovation. That's probably more fun than, than <laughs> you you there. Yeah, they're all, it's, there's so many good things to talk about. Yeah. The, well, I think one factoid, I, like, how about, we'll like meet in the middle. I'll, we'll share like one factoid that we like. Um, my, my favorite, like interesting fact that I enjoy telling people is that like the, the Dust Bowl that happened in the early the 19th century, the, if we didn't like put in practices to stop that from happening, it would have become a desert. Like the, like the Middle East used to be like very farm, like agriculture rich but then like they didn't have the best agricultural practices. So it became more deserty. So like the Midwest, which is like the breadbasket of the United, you know, is the breadbasket of the United States for a lot of things. It like a huge section of it almost was like wiped out, but like thankfully due to like really good agricultural practices, like we're starting, you know, we stopped it and like, it's, it's slowly getting better. But that's like, a, that's one of the fact, like little interesting facts I like to tell people. Is there anything that's like your go-to agriculture fact? Um, I don't know about a fact, but I'll tell you a short story. Yeah. Uh, my very first um, product that I was involved at at Monsanto um, was one of the first biotechnology products that anybody had. It, it was a um, Roundup tolerant soybean, and soybeans um, all all crops need to control weeds so that the plants grow and the weeds don't. Um, and Roundup does a really good job of that, just like we use it in our in, in my yard. But soybean farmers um, couldn't use it 
because if you sprayed it over soybeans, it would kill them. So what they did before this product is they would send their kids out, family out, um, hired people out, and, and walk through the soybean field with a hoe and kill the weeds so that the soybean could have the whole field. Well, once we introduced this product, we made the Roundup, uh, the soybean where you could spray Roundup on it. Now they could use this really nice uh, weed killer, um, nice environmentally friendly weed killer, and um, kill the weeds and the, so and the soybeans would live. Well, the, what that changed, so it allowed them to use conservation tillage, and we talked about saving topsoil, so it had a huge impact on that. But the story that um, also has stayed with me for over 25 years is I remember talking to a farm family about it and and it had saved them money and it was saving their topsoil but the story that was so interesting the farm wife said well let me tell you what we went to Disney World this year in the middle of the summer I got we never got to take a family vacation because we always had to go out walk the beans and kill the weeds this year we had a better product to do that and we could actually leave the farm for a week in the middle of the season and go to Disney World with my kids. And I'll never forget, and she told me, I'll never forget that vacation. And all of us has a family vacation that is such a big part of remembering our childhood. And I thought, oh my gosh, I think I'm doing genetic engineering or I think I'm making products um, with Monsanto. But what I'm really doing is helping people, people's families. And I'll never forget that story. Oh, I, I, I can see why. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to forget <laughs> it either. Like, that's, that is really significant. Uh, like, one of the things that I always look for when I talk with people is like, hey, what, whatever you're doing, like, does it save people time? Because, like, if you give people more time, like, they, they can do anything. And so mm -hmm. you save people, you know, time and, you know, a variety of things, but, you know, time being one of them. And they did some like amazing with them yeah that's, i don't know that's like that's really special i don't think you can yeah it's different than like an app or something that's <laughs> oh, okay you got social medias but like <laughs> but like this actually like brought a family yeah. closer together i love that um what kind of a, a, a question that i've been i don't know how to ask it right but people have like this outside view of Monsanto that is one way and then when you read about it it sounds a different way. And so I've always been curious, and th I think this story kind of illustrates, like what is it like on the inside where you get to see like families being changed, but like what is it, what is it like to develop uh, a, a, you know, a soybean that has that type of feature to it? Like what does it look like for someone who's like never been through that process at all? Like what does it actually look like to, to de design stuff like that? Well, it, it was a great place to be on the inside. So the things that, that I think, um, were made it so special is is we did have a lot of people we had a combination of people who who did grow up on farms and they knew um, what things would help farming and farmers and then you combine that with people who grew up in science some of them the same people but some of them like me who sort of came from a different science and but came in to apply what I knew to agricultural problems so you brought in create creativity and innovators and then we also had just a tremendous teamwork and one of the things I believe really strongly is is in the power of people working together on a team and no one person is is smart enough um, or creative enough 
to do things that, that when you put people around a table and they, they add together all their creativity. And one of the things that, that we did at Monsanto was um, think about what would be worth doing. And then we thought about, could it be done? Or what would have to be invented to, to get it done? Mm -hmm. So we worked on problems that were worth solving. And it was, it was wonderful as a scientist to, and I told you the story, I, I grew up wanting to make a difference. Um, and so to have a company that started with what, what is worth doing really tuned into my values. And then it tuned into, well, let's innovate our way there. Because today we can't do that. We have to, we, we at Monsanto sometimes talk about how many Nobel Prizes <laughs> how many Nobel Prize worthy innovations have to go into a product? And most new things don't just need one special innovation, they need multiple ones. And then they also need things to not only invent something, but um, establish and prove that, that it's safe for use, safe for the environment, etc. So there's people who do that. And then there's also, and I had good good fortune to be a part of this group as well. There's people who have to bridge from an innovation, a new product to farmers and farming and help them see how to incorporate that innovation into their operation so they get the benefit of it. And remember, some of those farmers are here in the Midwest on big farms. Some of them are, are here in the U.S. on small farms, but they're also on big and small farms all around the world. And that was, that was really cool because we invented things that would have, that didn't, a farm didn't have to be big. A farmer didn't have to be a big farmer to get benefit. And so most of our products were about changing seeds and every farmer, whether you're, you're doing a small garden or whether you've got 20,000 hectares, everybody plants seeds and everybody knew how to plant seeds. We put better innovation in those seeds. And so the idea that we were doing things that were novel, creative, useful, but also available to farmers, big and small. I, I couldn't have asked for a better way to, to use my science to make a difference. Yep. I'd have to agree. Like that is a, a very meaningful, I think everyone wants like a meaningful job or like, like, People my age, I, a lot of people that I talk with, they're always saying like, I want to do something meaningful, but it's, it's like, there's like so many choices nowadays. So yes. I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious because I believe as a, as we either in our first conversation or just through my research of you, that you're really big and you may have actually said this in the recording, but you're really big and like shepherding the next generation of innovators. And so I'm, I'm, I'm curious how, like, what are some things that you do to help, you know, with the next crop. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it is the next crop. And it is a lot, a lot about uh, some of the parallels to agriculture. So, so um, part of it is, I'll call it fertile soil, <laughs> if you want agriculture analogies. Um, so think young people, um, they may not choose their career as, you know, in elementary school but they can choose what they don't want to do. And, and, they, and so think about that. Um, your third grader um, has absorbed stuff in the world around them 
and they may have already decided, for example, I'm a math person or I'm not a math person. And if, so think about, I'm just using that as an example. If you don't take and work hard at math, engineering isn't going to be a career path you can do. Science, you, you know, science requires a good base in mathematics. So there'll be science classes that are not available to you. Um, so we've, if, if we don't encourage people to, to, I think everybody could be a math person. Everybody could be a science person. I, I don't believe that there's talent and not talent. But um, if we don't encourage young people to be curious and find ways to help them see why science can be fun, why math can be fun, they select themselves out. They decide that's not for them really early. And so, so I've been involved. Um, there are a number of the, the food and agriculture stakeholders, companies, universities, um, uh, education came together and we all decided we needed to, to get after young people so that they could see that careers in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, to be applied in food and agriculture would be interesting. And I was actually the president of that organization for a couple of years, the chairman. And we partnered together because it, it was, we needed to put everything um, to be able to get, get at those young people. And we said, we've got we've to pair up and we have to, to help teachers and parents and get activities for young people to see that taking classes in math, trying classes in science, maybe doing a robotics or automation um, science fair uh, project might be a way to get exposed to this. Mm -hmm. And if, if, they don't, if they don't see themselves that early, they may never see themselves. Now later in their, their um, you know, middle school, high school, they, they need access um, to good science classes. I think 100% of our citizens should have a science literacy. Um, so we need to make sure that science and science teachers are supported in middle school and high school. And then as people go on to high school, giving, you know, there's, there's some who excel and we need advanced opportunities. AP classes are wonderful. Or I've seen, um, I've, I've worked here in St. Louis in the St. Louis Science Academy where we, we um, help some of the students who are the most advanced work in university laboratories, even as high schoolers. And they're, they're doing really remarkable science that young. And, they'll, and, and so we need to support all aspects of the pipeline. Um, but I, th I think the future needs innovators and, and food and agriculture needs innovators. And so we need to, it's a pipeline question. We can't just decide at, at uh, university that we need to do that. We have to decide very early to support science education all the way through. Mm -hmm. It reminds me a little bit of, I think it was Neil deGrasse Tyson who was saying that everyone, everyone's a scientist until like they're, they're like taught not to be or like, or not like encouraged. And no, I like math. I think math's fun. I, I like, I like science. And it's, it's like for people who say they don't like math, I think, I just feel like they had like a bad teacher. So I, I, <laughs> I definitely see the value of it because like we've all had like the, those teachers where they make the entire subject like the worst thing in the world. Like, um, mm -hmm. I'm thinking of this person who taught physics, <laughs> but like physics is fascinating, but he did not, I don't know, maybe he did not enjoy physics himself, even though he taught it. 
Well, one other aspect I just would, would like to um, comment on that. I, I do think um, it, we're wonderful to have Neil deGrasse Tyson because I think he, he brings science in a really approachable, uh, fun way. And, and we all can learn from that. And I think all kinds of science need to be, need to have our own uh, person like that who, who makes it uh, so amazing to learn. But there, there's um, one extra thing I think we need to think about as well. If you look at, at the demographics of our scientists, um, certain science disciplines um, are hugely underrepresented by, um, with women, for example. Um, biology is, is 50% women. Physics, engineering is not, for example. Um, and if you look at minorities, there's also underrepresentation underrepresent of, of um, various mi minorities within the science population. And, you know, there, there's no reason, I think there's got to be great talent in every population, you know, girls and boys, women and men, um, all demographic groups. And so we need to think about what is it about uh, how we introduce science or think about science or talk about science that women and, and girls aren't pursuing certain disciplines. I think there's some amazing female uh, physicists or engineers who didn't choose those paths for some reason. So part of what I've done is to also think about um, how do we make that pipeline pull everybody through so that, that certain groups don't um, choose not to. Now, hopefully those, those folks are off doing great, other great things, but if we want the best and brightest in our innovation, and, and the part that I worry about is the food and agriculture innovation pipeline, we need to help make sure everybody sees um, an opportunity for them and how to bring their talent through this pipeline. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's one of the crazy things about um, us as a species, I suppose, is that like the like the unique perspective, like everyone has lived a very unique life. And so mm -hmm. if you bring all those unique perspectives to the table, you'll have all these unique ways to solve a problem and have a much greater chance of solving it, especially when you have like these huge law, you know, huge issues that you want to solve, like these huge world changing issues. So I'm very supportive of this, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But which is sure. why I try to get like, it, like pretty good representation of women on the podcast because I don't want just like guys. It's like <laughs> women are like, I don't know. I like talking to everyone, but like, I like to have like 50, 50 as best as I can. But, um, so uh, I think this is like a good, like, like segue into maybe your, your, your work at the yield lab. And so I'm curious, like, how have you like taken those interests to like grow on the next crop? How has that been able to be kind of like brought to a point with the yield lab? If, if at all, I know you're like, you're, you know, you're like a big, one of the, the big wigs. Uh, I, don't know, like. I am I am one of the one of uh, five managing directors um, and uh, what we do is is we have investors um, individual investors and and strategic partners which are corporations interested in in innovation in food and agriculture and um, we go out and we seek um, early stage companies and we we provide the ones we choose we provide some capital investment for them um, importantly, pr we provide programming um, on things that will help them be successful. And maybe most importantly, we provide one of the partners as a mentor to help them be successful. And all of the partners have long-time careers in, in agriculture and it have um, brought, you know, brought innovation to the marketplace. And we all have different backgrounds, but um, 
we have somebody who's worked in animal agriculture. We have somebody who's worked in food and beverage. Uh, we've got somebody uh, from John Deere who worked in, um, in machinery. And then I, Monsanto, I worked in biotech and chemistry. So, so we've got a very broad view on different kinds of things uh, from the food and ag world. Um, but what's fun for me is uh, we get to get to look at all these companies, pick the ones that we think um, we can help be successful, and then go in and help them. And some of them need um, help uh, breaking into finding partners or customers. Some of them need help on thinking about a intellectual property strategy. Some of them need to think about um, whether their business plan is viable. Some of them need help in a fundraising strategy so they can continue to get additional investment to help them be successful. And whatever that is, um, the, the portfolio companies that we choose, we, we try to, to help them and, and, and increase their probability of success. And if they're successful, then, then they um, graduate and exit and, uh, and our investors then get to a, a small share in that. So, so what was exciting to me is after working in a, in a world where, where we, although um, we had lots of partners at Monsanto, it was, it was kind of, we, we sort of took things ourselves, um, but was fun was to bring the things I had learned how to do and, and the kinds of ways I like to, to work and bring it as a mentor. And so I'm, I'm working with, with several of these um, early stage companies and you, whatever they need help with. Sometimes I'm a sounding board. Sometimes I'm, I'm challenging them. I'm the devil's advocate. In other cases, I'm using my network to create um, introductions and getting them across the table with a potential partner or a potential customer or a potential investor that might help them be successful. Um, so uh, I'm, for, I'm working part-time with them and um, I feel like it's a great way to make a big impact in a, a reasonable amount of time that I can work with them. So it's, it's been, been great. And it's really fun to work with small companies because they're, they may be small in their size, but they have big ideas and they have big potential to make a big impact. So it's, a, it's been a fun journey with this. Is it, as like a, a mentor, there when when you want to like build their knowledge base to be more you know you know have more tools to work with are there any like key resources you recommend or any books i read like a book every other day so i'm like i'm basically <laughs> asking myself like what more can i read but, yeah yeah um some some people I, I would say there are partners and and my network there are some folks who rely more on books and there are good ones out there i tend to learn best this is me personally so it's probably how i teach and mentor, but I learn best from people that are good at something. So if I want to learn to be a better negotiator, um, my approach is not likely to go read a book on negotiation, although there are good ones out there. Um, but that's, but my approach has been to find people who do it well, observe them, ask them how they think about it, um, you can even learn from people who don't do it as well. <laughs> Say, why are they less effective at it? You know, what perspective do they bring to the table? You know, in this negotiation example, um, some of the best negotiators are, are, have a philosophical framework that says, I will win if we both win. 
and I've seen that work much better than, you know, I've certainly, some people negotiate adversarially and they think, well, I can't win if the person across the table doesn't lose. Um, so, and, and those topics and that approach would be in, in some books, but that approach is also learned by meeting, talking, observing people who do it well. So, so that's how I do it. Um, so unfortunately, I don't think I'm as big of a help as maybe some other people because I don't, I, not that I don't read, but usually when I read, I read for, for uh, recreation mm -hmm. and um, I learn from people for the most part. Now, that's not to say I don't digest lots and lots of science publications because I do that. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm curious about this idea of finding, you know, smart people and kind of like shadowing them and, and learning from them. Especially since, uh, apparent, uh, from what you said, like sometimes the people you mentor, like they just need to kind of get in front of people and like do the shadowing and like learn from them as well. Are there any good strategies for people who are, who are who want to learn, you know, like any skill, like for getting in front of people and finding people that are really good at it and convincing them to give them a couple, you know, a little bit of their time so they can learn? Because I think, I think people see the value of having that mentorship, having that person to learn from. I think there's also the, the this fear that they'll, be rejected and then this other yeah. concern that they'll they won't have the time like they don't want to waste that person's time or take up when they're already really busy people so are, is there like any strategy or way of thinking about this where like people can get through to people who they can learn from if that makes sense absolutely um and so so a couple things i'd say one is nowadays maybe more than ever before there are more groups and or organized ways to learn from people and um, I'm in St. Louis here, so I'll comment on, on what we have, but I think this is true in other places. We've got a place called Venture Cafe, and people who are interested in starting a business or they are in the middle of starting a business or maybe they're starting their third business, they come together, and, and it's, it's in the evening, and, and people network informally, and some people come there um, more as resources. Some people come more as learners, but everybody is there to, to give and take in knowledge and, and creation. And there's, there's a lot of those things going on around. So, so finding structured ways, you know, our Yield Lab Accelerator is a structured way where, where people apply to us and then they, can, they, they get dedicated resources. So I would certainly urge people to think about what are the structured ways. And, and again, nowadays, um, there's so many ways people come together, either you know, locally, in person, um, there's so many places even that people get together virtually and mentor and, and share with each other. Um, I, we all get requests like that. Somebody, um, usually it's, they meet somebody who says you should talk to whatever. Um, and I think people in general are very, um, who want to give their time as best they can. Um, if somebody is reaching out to somebody they don't know, it certainly is, is helpful to have an introduction, maybe somebody they both know, but that's not always what you have. I think if, if somebody comes, comes to me with a little bit of background of, you know, why they think I'm a person who could help them and a pretty concise, here's what I, I want to learn and here's how I think you could help me learn it. If I can find the time to, to do it in a concise, um, efficient way, um, I'll absolutely do it. So I, I think it's important whenever people are seeking out a mentor or a, just a networking lunch or something like that to be, to give some, to do some pre-work 
to think mm -hmm. about how to best introduce themselves, how to, to create what they want to know in as concrete and, and um, concise way. Because um, sometimes I'll have people come and say, well, I just want to know about this, and it's big. If it's just an introductory meeting to agriculture, okay, you know, but if somebody comes to me with something really specific, says, you know, I want to learn about negotiation, and, you know, I'd, I'd be curious, can we spend lunch, and, and you can tell me a little bit about, you know, how you do it, and, and why you think you've been successful at this. You know, if I can fit that in, I do, and I think most people will. Um, especially for folks who are genuinely trying to learn. They've given, they've done their homework to say why you're the person they should learn it from. And they've been um, concise about, you know, what they want to talk about. Hmm. Is there, for people who are looking for these mentors, I think, I know for me, like I always think like, how, how, how can I get back? How can I get back to this person? So as you know, to encourage them to keep doing it. Like I always think it's good to give yeah. back when people give to you. And so are, as someone who is a mentor, are there good key ways to give back to a mentor? That, ah. Yeah, especially since like as you're starting out, like you don't have that much <laughs> to give, but at the same time, I, I'm sure there's ways. So I'm curious, like, have yeah. you found any like really effective ways that people have given back to you that you, you've seen to be very successful? Thanks for asking that because uh, I neglected to mention that as a mentor, and I've done it a lot you know, over the years, I always feel like I learn more from the people <laughs> while I'm mentoring them than, than they learn from me. Um, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy seeing the next generation. Um, although I've mentored people my same age, but I like seeing how, how, uh, how, how people take what we've talked about and then go apply it. Um, but there's one gal that I'm mentoring right now and um, I've known her for a couple of years and something she does that makes me feel really good about the ongoing mentoring. Part of it is I get to see her be successful and um, I couldn't be more proud of seeing what she does and how she does it. But she's, she has regular communication. Now, you know, we don't have a formal mentoring role, but every, every couple of months she'll shoot me a note. She tells me what she's doing. She tells me about the, the things that she's done. She's proud of. She tells me about the challenges on her plate and, and how she's thinking about solving them. And she kind of connects the dots. So she provides back to me sort of tangible ways that the investment of my time into her is making a difference. And so, you know, she is doing a great job and I couldn't be prouder to see her, her, you know, spread her wings and, and, and be a full fledged professional and doing, she's doing some great things, but she gives me a, just a little nudge of, you know, I had a little role. I had a little role in helping her do that. And she's kind enough to keep me up to date and, and let me know how she's doing. And, and I get to, to feel good about my impact through her um, that, that I had. And, you know, that if, if you have a chance to, to interact with somebody, you know, let them know that they made a difference and how, and then, uh, you know, little updates, they don't have to be long. I think that's a great way to, to give back. And then the other one is, every mentor was a mentee somewhere else. You know, I am, I am paying back, if you will, investment that people made in me. There were people who gave me their time freely and generously. And I would like to think that the accomplishments and impact I've had, they feel proud of. But one of the ways I'm giving back to them is I'm being the kind of mentor that they taught me to be.
and and it and that's that's how how things that's how movements are built <laughs> mm -hmm. that's how we all have an, a way to reach into the future is is the people that we've helped the people that we've mentored and all the things that they'll do in the future we had just a little finger on that that's interesting the i think that's the thing i get stuck with i always feel like i need to do more i always feel like no i should be trying to be more helpful because <laughs> well i don't have any like mentor mentors i do like ask questions of a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> so so i'm always like oh this really helps me and yeah. um, um that's good to know well, we're all going to do what we can do. And I, I think the most important thing is, is we are a big community. And, um, you know, I think out in the innovation world, I think most of us believe that we're better together. And so we, we give to the ecosystem, the innovation ecosystem. We receive from the innovation ecosystem. Some people um, do it one way. Some people do it a different way. I have colleagues who, who don't do as much um, mentoring, but they're really good at doing something else for the ecosystem. And, and so, you know, I, my, my advice is always just be generous with, with what you have and what you can give. And, and if we all put stuff in, we will all receive. I think there's a, there's a quote that my grandfather always told me that I'm, I'm sure he didn't originate with it, but I just, I associated with him that, the society benefits when more people plant trees whose shade they'll never sit under. Ah, yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's wonderful. That one and don't plant a tree root side up, which is <laughs> very succinct logic there. <laughs> I hadn't heard that one, but I do like the planting trees. Um, you know, as, as somebody like we talked earlier about seeds and planting seeds and, and um, I think we all, all, should do that and uh, I consider an obligation. Um, but if we all wake up in the morning and say, how can I have impact on the planet, on the people around me, on the environment, um, you know, it, it, none of us is gonna do it through our, just our own efforts. We're gonna do it through the efforts of, of all of us together. And, you know, I, I think we do have to think about, I, I don't have any grandkids, um, but I do think about the world my grandkids will inherit and what do I do? What choices have I made? What impact have I had either myself or, or, you know, through all the, the ways I've worked or all the people I've worked with, um, how, how can I make things better for my grandkids generation? And then they'll hopefully make things better for their grandkids. Um, that's important. Uh, I thought I have, and, and I just, I'm just like kind of like express this to you. And I'm curious what your thoughts on it will be that I read this in a comic. It was about like, I think it was about depression, but like, um, the, the, the person was talking about how I thought, I don't think it was about depression. It was just like talking about anxiety. And the, uh, one person was talking to another person and the person was talking about how they're stressed all the time. They're saying, Oh, I'm a good person. And the person's like, they, the, the person asks, all right, you're a good person. What do you do? And the person says, well, I'm nice to people. All right. Well, how are you nice to people? And then he thinks about it. And like, there's like a couple images that pop in his head of like not holding doors for people or like swearing at people in, in public. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well maybe I'm not, you know, nice to people, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a kind person. You know, I'm very, you know, I'm very generous with my time. So when was the last time you gave 
selfishly to another human being. And then he's like, and more thought bubbles come to his head about how he never does that. It's <laughs> <laughs> so it, like that always, um, like this idea of kind of like try to like find, if you want to do good, find ways to see yourself doing good as well. I think is yeah. like the, the thought I'm trying to articulate. Yeah. And I don't know if, uh, I don't know if you do that at all yourself. Like, oh, I'm a, um, and I think like in our discuss, like in this discussion so far, like you've been illustrating like, hey, I want to build, help build the next crop or grow the next crop of innovators. And you're seeing yourself do that through this mentorship. But is there any, I don't know, is there any, <laughs> any validity to that? I guess I was just like, I wonder what you think of this. But um, well, I, you know, it's a, that's, that's a good question. And, and I do think that our actions say more about our values really, really than our words. And then the other thing that I believe is that if you want to know, and we all have the same 24 hours a day, right? Or how many ever we have a week. Um, and I think how people spend those 24 hours is a better indicator of what they truly believe than what they say. So, um, you know, if, if, if we think we believe that um, it's a high value for us to um, help the next generation be successful, we can ask ourselves on the 24 hours a day or how many of our hours there on a week or a month, um, how many of them did we spend doing that? Now, you know, of course, we all have the challenges of life. We all have to, you know, we want to um, support our family or, you know, I, I, one of the big things for me, education is important. And so I wanted to work really hard to make sure I could send my kids to college where they wanted to attend. Um, you know, so, so those are, I think the question we ask is our most limited resource is time and how do we spend it? And if the, if somebody is, if, if you kind of compare those two things and they don't add up, then, then you say, well, what am I going to do about it? Am I going to say maybe I didn't really believe what I thought I believed in? Or am I going to try to find ways, maybe they're small, to start doing some things? I believe in, you know, I've, I, we've talked a little bit about some of the work I've done in the STEM area trying to, to help the next generation of innovators. I believe myself that, that the role of women and our ability to impact um, and use the talent we have in the world is really important. So I donate my time. I'm the president of a women's organization that works in our community and all around the world, trying to help women um, bring all of their, their talents to the needs of society. Um, so I think people need to ask that question. And I've certainly had times in my life I wasn't able to do as, as much on those other beliefs. I had to spend much more of my time, you know, making sure I um, did a good job at my, my job and doing a good job being a mom. But, you know, finding ways to do those things that we believe are important um, is, is worth trying to do. Again, sometimes it, your life, life won't let you, um, but finding little ways is pretty important. And that was Sherry Brown with the Yield Lab, Managing Director. Remember to check her out in the show notes. And if you're looking at either starting a startup or helping out in a startup that kind of falls into her domain, check out in the show notes and see how you can get involved at the Yield Lab or in related type organizations. 
Other than that, I want to inform people before we go that there is a new way to show support for the podcast and to keep it advertisement-free from now until forever, which is called Patreon. If you go to Patreon and look for Learning with Lowell, you'll see this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We can be found on Twitter at Lowell was here, Facebook, and on the website, learningwithlowell.com. Also sign up for the newsletter where you can hear amazing content every Monday, new episodes every Tuesday, and new blog posts around every Thursday. Remember to share and tell your friends, please and thank you.